Psalm 51 is where we're going to be in Scripture, but I'm going to have you confess this psalm together as we prepare to hear His Word. And so, follow along with me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to Your steadfast love. According to Your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against You, You only have I sinned and done what is evil in Your sight, so that You are justified in Your words and blameless in Your judgments. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, You delight in truth in the inward being, and You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean." Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guilt, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifices, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Amen. You may be seated. And as you turn in your Bible to Psalm 51, let's ask God's help. Father, take now this, your word written so long ago by King David, out of the agony of his own soul, bring these words home to us that we might be, through repentance and faith in the promise of Your grace, a people freed from sin and empowered to know Your forgiveness and to walk with You. In Christ we pray. Amen. This is a very personal prayer. It's almost like we're eavesdropping on a brother in agony as he turns from his sin to seek God for forgiveness. And it is a prayer of confession written down for our good that through this brother's pain we might understand what repentance looks like and be moved when we sin to return to God for cleansing and restoration. That brother, of course, is King David. If you look just above verse 1 in your Bible of chapter 51 of Psalms, it says, A psalm of David whom, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Do you remember what it is David did? 2 Samuel chapter 11. How David on a rooftop looked down and he saw a beautiful woman bathing Bathsheba and was inflamed with lust for her. 
He sent for her, and because he is the king, she had to come, and he slept with her even though she was married to one of his faithful soldiers named Uriah. When she later became pregnant, David knew he had to cover up his tracks to keep anyone from finding out. He couldn't face the scandal, and so he conspired to have her husband killed. He thought he covered it up. But God, you understand, will not allow the sins of His saints to go unnoticed. He sent the prophet Nathan to confront David in his sin. You are the man, Nathan said. And David broke. We often assume that to be a Christian means that you will no longer sin. And oh, how I wish that was already the case. But what it means instead is that we, like David, cannot remain in our sin, that God loves us too much to let that continue. And when we sin, He will come after us, He will expose it, and He will bring us to repentance so that He can then cleanse and restore us through repentance to faith and fellowship with Him. But repentance is the way of restoration. And this psalm teaches us how that happens. So this morning, I want us to learn this grace of repentance from the prayer of David. I mean, what do you do when you have sinned? That needs to be the thought in your mind. The first thing we see here is that when you have sinned, Christian, turn to God with confession. If you're not a Christian, begin there. Turn to God with confession. Seek the promise of His mercy. Verse 1 and 2, Have mercy on me, O God, according to Your steadfast love. According to Your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. It begins with prayer, turning to Him. Pray these words, or words like them. And so you come, you turn from your sin, and you seek God for His mercy. That's where repentance starts. Uh, These first two verses are really a summary of the entire psalm as, as David begins to plead for forgiveness. For forgiveness based on what? Well, notice it's not his own merit. He he doesn't say, well, God, you know, I deserve this. I've been pretty good overall. I've served you well. I, I, I deserve another shot. No, David anchors his appeal in the only hope that sinners like us have. And that is the faithfulness of God to His promises and the kindness of God in His character. Notice those words, steadfast love. Have mercy according to your steadfast love, verse 1, and abundant mercy. First, steadfast love, it's that word hesed that we have seen on again and off again throughout the Psalms. That that word that refers to the to the covenant faithfulness of God, which He has promised to His people, and specifically for us, has promised us in Christ. God has promised to be merciful to those who come to Him through the grace of Christ. We don't come on our own merit. We come on the basis of what Christ has promised. Second, it says His abundant mercy. God can be merciful to us, not because we are so full of deserving but because He is so full of grace. And He gives that grace of repentance to those who come humbly to Him through faith. And so David comes to Him trusting nothing in Himself, 
but everything in the promise and faithful character of God. But why is He coming? Well, notice He is coming because of the awareness that He has sinned. David has come under the conviction of the sin. And that conviction of his own sinfulness has driven him to God. Verse 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. And so you come, second of all, confessing to God your sin. You say to Him, God, I have sinned, and it is evil. God, I am the man. I'm the one in the wrong. Do you see how David owns his sin here? He doesn't hide it. He confesses it. There are three different words used for sin in this passage, each adding to its description. Transgression is a stepping over the line that God has drawn. God says, do not go here, but we went there. Iniquity is turning your back on God to go your own way and to do your own will in contradistinction to what He has declared. And this word sin in verse 2 means to miss the mark. God set the target for my life in His Word, but I shot my arrow in a different direction, living as if He had never made a command or that I don't care that He has made a command, and I am guilty then of spurning His truth. David, throughout this psalm, owns that. Notice again that he doesn't soft-pedal his sin. He doesn't try to excuse what he has done. He doesn't say, you know, God, you got to understand, there were mitigating circumstances. She was so beautiful. I couldn't help myself. You know, the way I was raised. David doesn't say, you know, it's not my fault. He says, I know my sin. It's right here in front of me. And I know that it is evil in your sight. Do you understand? Do you know that your sin is evil in God's sight? That He hates it? That He is determined to destroy it and you with it if you choose to cling to it? David understood that. That's why he's confessing it here. To confess means to agree with God about the, about the evil of your sin. To agree, yes, I've did it, done it, and yes, it is evil, and yes, it is rebellion, and yes, Lord, it deserves your deepest wrath, as the old hymn says. And so you turn to God and seek His mercy. You confess to God that you have sinned, but notice third, you come confessing that you have sinned against Him. Notice that in verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Meaning when you judge me, it's right that you do. Against you and you only. Now, that doesn't mean that no one else got sinned against in this picture. We've already seen that there were two others and more, really. It's not saying that it doesn't matter what David did to Bathsheba or Uriah. No, what he means is, ultimately, the offense that I have committed is against God Himself. Friend, do you understand that every sin you commit ultimately is against God Himself? Think of David's sin. That woman he defiled by sleeping with her outside of marriage was a woman made in the image and likeness of God. By defiling her, he defiled God. 
By defiling her marriage, he defiled what God created to be holy and exclusive. Just as some of you do when you defile others through pornography or lust. That man he murdered was a man made in the image and likeness of God. The moment he shed that man's blood, he committed blasphemy against God and a blasphemy of a kind that earns the death penalty in the court of God. Again, do you understand that when you sin against another person, every sin against another person, it is never just between you and that person. It is always and ultimately against God who made that person and cherishes the image that He stamped upon them. What that means is, listen to this, listen, there is no such thing as a consensual sin. Because God did not give His consent. And His consent is the only one that matters. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-8 addresses sexual sins as Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica. And In our culture, we tend to think, well, as long as it's consensual, it's not sin. And again, how foolish we are. Listen to what God says. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, Paul says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. God's will is your holiness and purity sexually. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passionate lusts of the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. God is the one who is keeping tab. God is the one who will punish. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Then listen to this. Therefore, whoever disregards this, whoever says that doesn't matter, whoever says I'm not going to pay attention to that, disregards not man, but God who gave His Holy Spirit to you. It's not a matter of being consensual. It's a matter of obedience to the God who made you and made them and has commanded clearly what our lives are to be. You sleep with someone you're not married to. You assassinate someone's character with your words. You lie about them. You cheat them. You misuse them in some way. Your sin is not just against that person. It is against the God who made that person And he takes that quite personally. And you see, David knows that here. That's why he's confessing as he does. That's what he is confessing. He says, God, I have sinned ultimately against you. I am guilty before you. I deserve the judgment that your word demands. God, I have no excuse for what I have done. Following David's pattern, you confess your sin to him. You agree with him that it is evil, that it deserves his wrath. And fourth, notice you confess the fact that your sin problem runs deep, far too deep for you simply to make a course correction on your own. It's not just a behavior issue. It is a heart issue. Look at verses 4, 5, and 6. Behold, David says, I was brought forth in iniquity, and sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Again, David is not blaming his mother here. He's not saying, well, Lord, you know, she sinned in the very way she conceived me. It's all her fault. No, he is saying that his own sin goes back to his conception. 
In other words, David understands his depravity. David understands that he has been a sinner from birth and even before birth. It's, it's, it's written into his fallen nature. This, this stain within him that drives him is far too deep for any simple human solution. Do you understand that about yourself? Why you do the things that you do? The reason you do the things that you do is that we are born in this state of sinfulness. Uh, Romans 3 verse 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. To understand that apart from Christ, you are not a basically good person who occasionally does bad things and just needs a little counseling now and again. No, apart from Christ, you are a fundamentally sinful person who does bad things from a sinful, self-willed heart that only Christ can heal. Matthew 15, verse 19, Jesus said very clearly, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, falsehood, and slander. These are what defile a person, not stuff out here that got into me. I was otherwise pure. But what is in me because of my sinful nature? It is your heart that is the problem. It is your heart and it is, it is too deep, too ingrained for a simple quick fix or a little course correction that you can manage in some way. You need for God to do what only God can do, which is exactly what David begins to ask for next. And so verse 6 says, God desires truth in our inner being and that we be taught His wisdom in our hearts so that we live that wisdom and righteousness in our lives. But, but that's the very thing we have not done and cannot do on our own, which is why David not only confesses his sin, but then turns and asks God to be his help. Asks God to change his heart, mind, and life. So there's the second thing today. When you sin, when you have sinned, Ask God to cleanse you and renew you and restore you to Himself through Christ. Notice that in verses 7 to 12. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken, in in your discipline He means, rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Your presence and take not Your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of Your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Hey, listen, that is a series of prayers that you need to learn to pray as you seek to bring your heart back in line with His. I would memorize these verses if you have not and have them ready at hand when you need them because I'm afraid you're going to need them often as you battle your way through this world of sin. I pray these words an awful lot. So notice here that David is doing more than just asking for forgiveness. He is asking God to change him from the inside out. To break sin's power over him. To free him from its clutches and take away its reigning influence so that he can walk freely with God. He doesn't just want to be free from sin's guilt. He wants to be liberated from its power so that he can walk in the middle of this abundant grace. 
And so notice the kinds of things he prays. Mark these and make these a part of your prayer strategy. First of all, he prays, Lord, cleanse me. Apply the cleansing power of your sacrificial blood to purge away the stain of my sin. That's the New Testament version of that. We see this request in several places in this psalm. First of all, just going back to those first two verses, just as there were three words for the sin we have committed, there are also three words for the cleansing that we need. And each of these three words presents a picture of what God must do for us. Back in verse 1, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Blot out or erase this record of sin. Wash me from the filth I've been rolling in. Cleanse me as one who is holy and righteous before you. And those same three words are then repeated in this section we're looking at now as David turns to this matter of having his heart that was wrong set be set right that he might walk with God. And so he begins that here in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, he says, and I shall be clean. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Now, first just notice the hope that we see here. Notice David doesn't say, maybe I can find a way to get clean. Maybe if you give me enough laws and give me enough rules, maybe maybe I can work my way clean by trying hard enough. And, and one day, maybe I can be purged. No, in faith, notice he says, Lord, by Your grace, I shall be clean. It reminds me of the leper that comes to Jesus in Mark 1 verse 40. And this man covered with these sores and just tainted in such a way that he had to cry unclean and, and people would have run from him. He comes to Jesus, kneels down and says, Lord, if You are willing, You can make me clean. And moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out His hand and touched him and said, I am willing. Be clean. Oh, sinner, listen. You can be clean. Jesus has the power to cleanse the deepest stain. And that's actually what this word means. It means the the cleansing of a stain, the cleansing of a leper. Sinning saint, hear me, you have not out-sinned the reach of Christ's mercy. If you will come to Him, He can make you clean. In fact, notice the words again in verse 7. They're very important. Purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Isn't that interesting? Such power in this little word picture that we can easily miss this word purge or purify, depending on your translation. You know what that word actually means? It's interesting. Uh, That word actually means unsin me. Or de-sin my life. Make it as if my sin had never happened. Make it as if I had never sinned against you at all. Do you understand in the New Testament that is exactly what we are told justification accomplishes? 
as we turn and trust in Christ alone? That old Sunday school definition of justified, that it is just as if I'd never sinned. Christ so thoroughly removes the stain and penalty of my sin that as I stand before Him, it is as if it never, ever existed. He proclaims that I am now that clean in His sight. Oh, but how is that even possible? Well, look at the reference to hyssop. It's a rich Old Testament symbol. Hyssop was a paintbrush-like plant that was used in the Old Testament in various cleansing rituals. For example, in Leviticus 14, with the cleansing of a leper. When the leper was pronounced clean, they would take the hyssop and dip it in a mixture of water and blood and sprinkle it upon the, uh, upon the leper and pronounce that he is now clean. Even more important... Exodus chapter 12, verse 22, they used the hyssop to paint the door frames of their homes with the blood of the sacrificial lamb so that those within the home might be saved from the wrath of God as it moved through Egypt. And likewise, we now pray, Lord, take away the stain of my sin with the hyssop bearing the sacrificial blood of Your Son the Lamb slain in my place that I might be counted righteous. I might be declared clean in Your sight. How clean? Whiter than snow. Now listen, children, all of you, I want you to think about the first good snowfall we get here in the next however many weeks. I want you to step outside your front door. I want you to look at that beautiful blinding whiteness and I want you to say, this is what Christ's blood has done for this sinner. Isaiah 1, verse 18. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. When by faith we come confessing our sin, trusting in the shed blood of Christ, God cleanses us like that. 1 John 1.9 is another one you ought to have in your belt, right? When we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and He will forgive us our sins. And what? cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Dear one, you sinned this week. You sinned last night. You're weighed down with that burden. You can be clean. Not just somewhat clean, not partially clean, but as white as snow. We pray, Lord, cleanse me. Second, we pray, Lord, restore me. Restore me to fellowship with You. Verse 8 and 9, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that You have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Blot out. Again, what we're asking God to do is to no longer count our sin against us. That word blot out means to erase, to remove entirely from the record, to erase this list of sins that stands against me. Not only do I have filth myself personally, but there's a record that stands against me. And as long as that record stands against me, I am doomed. But Christ, in taking my sins upon Himself and paying their penalty, has erased the ledger. That list of sins that I committed has been blotted out. All the files in the database have been deleted. Have you never read Colossians 2.14 when it says that He forgave us our trespasses? How? 
by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. The death of Christ not only forgave my sins, it has removed the record book entirely. And listen, dear one, that is freeing to know that. That's why the party begins in verse 4. Let me hear joy and gladness. Those bones that you broke. Uh, Psalm 32 talks about how my bones wasted away when I, when I refused to confess my sin. But now I'm coming to you and, and those sins that were breaking the bones of my soul, they've been swept away entirely. And I look and I see God standing on the front porch like the, father's, uh, like the prodigal's father welcoming me. He's killed the fatted calf and He's welcomed me back into fellowship and He says, let the party begin. David says, let me hear the joyful sound of you welcoming me home. We enter into the joy of restored fellowship. Third, we pray, God, not only restore me to fellowship with You, but recreate in me a heart that obeys You. Give me a new heart that that wants to follow You and will follow You. Those wonderful words... Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Don't you love that song? I hope you sing that often. Keith Green, you know, create in me a clean heart, O God. You can finish the rest later. But you ought to sing that because this is what we're talking about. This is a cry for an inward renewal. This is a cry for a new heart that will willingly walk in continual fellowship with God. This word create, recreate, create in me is, is the Hebrew word bahra used in Genesis 1. It, it speaks of God's special work of creation. It was used when, among other things, when He first created Adam. God made Adam to know and walk with Him in fellowship and joy in the garden. But you know what happened. Adam sinned and broke that fellowship. He drove a wedge between us and God. And now David is praying, Lord, restore me to the garden fellowship lost in Adam, but we would say renewed now in Christ. Give me a heart that is clean and a spirit that is willing to walk with You today and tomorrow and the next day. Lord, it's not enough just to know that I'm clean. It's not enough to know that I've been forgiven. Those are wonderful. Thank You. But I want more. I want to know and walk with You. So so take away my bent for sinning and replace it with a spirit that is willing and earnest and will continue to walk with You now and forever. That's what we're asking for. Pray that way. And fourth, we pray, Lord, don't let my sin that I have committed take away my usefulness to Your kingdom. Don't let it separate me from You. Fellowship with You is what matters most. Don't let my sin keep me from You. Do you remember what happened to King Saul when he persisted in his sin? David certainly did. In the Old Testament era, God would put His Spirit on certain leaders to equip them for service, and Saul had been such a leader. David was in Saul's service for a time. But Saul grew arrogant and unrepentant. And you can read that in 1 Samuel 16. God removed His Spirit from Saul, and the nightmare began as Saul began to lose his mind and lose his kingdom and lose his dignity and ultimately he lost his life. David was there and he saw it happen. 
And now that he has sinned and repented, he turns to God in verse 11 and he prays, Oh God, don't let this happen to me. Cast me not away from your presence as you did Saul. Take not your Holy Spirit from me as you did Saul. God, don't let this happen to me. Don't take away my usefulness to your kingdom. Don't send me away from you. Now as New Testament believers, we have a new assurance, David didn't, that the Holy Spirit is a permanent presence in our lives. Be thankful that you're a New Testament believer. If you're in Christ, you cannot ultimately lose the Spirit's dear presence because to not have the Spirit is to not belong to Christ, Romans 8, 9 says. But please listen to me, Christian. Through sin you can lose the awareness of His presence, the comfort of His presence, the power and usefulness of His presence in your life, and any hope you had of being used by Him for His kingdom. Now that that thought terrifies me, to be honest, as I think of many pastors who have walked that very road. I'm sure it terrified David. And, And what's worse, and we must say this, you could even prove that you really never were His at all. That you never really had His Spirit. I mean, if you continue in unrepentant sin and you have no desire to repent and you don't want to return to Him and you're not crying out, Lord, restore to me the joy of Your salvation, you could find yourself hearing Jesus say one day, depart from me, I never knew you. David says, Lord, don't let that be me. And fifth, we pray... Restore to me the joy of knowing You. Verse 12, Restore to me the joy of Your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. By the way, you should pray this. Some of you should pray this really often. Restore to me the joy of Your salvation. Listen, nothing kills joy faster than unconfessed sin. I know of what I speak. Sin is a murderer of joy, but grace revives it and restores it. Now, I'm not saying that all depression is due to sin. Not at all, but I am saying some of it is. When we walk away from God and hide our sin and refuse to face it, we choose to remain in darkness, and that darkness is a dreary place for any Christian. And so by confession and repentance, you return to God. You ask Him for renewal. You ask Him to restore your joy in Him and keep you there. Working daily in your spirit to keep you walking in the light and joy of His presence. And He will do it. And so when you sin, turn to God and confess it immediately. Tell Him what you've done. Trust in the power of His gospel to free you. Ask Him to restore what sin has broken and renew your love and joy in Him. And then, third, when you are restored, trust God for a renewed life of service and worship. Verse 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, 
a broken and contrite heart, O God, You will not despise. We get up off of our knees and stand to our feet clean, ready to worship and serve God with a renewed and invigorated faith. Because you understand, nobody worships like a forgiven sinner. Jesus, speaking of the immoral woman, said, She who is forgiven much, loves much. And so our hearts, freed from sin's power, long to worship Him. And let me tell you, that kind of faith is infectious. Notice verse 13. Then, having received this restoration and forgiveness, I'll teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Lord, I want others to know about this. I'm going to go out as a beggar showing other beggars where they can find bread. I'm not going out to to condemn and harangue these sinners. I was in their shoes just a little while ago. Now I want to go and point them to the Savior who saved me and restored me and I'm convinced can do the same thing for them. I want my life to be a beacon pointing them back to Christ. Remember what Jesus told Peter, after you fail, (laughs) you're going to hit the wall hard, Peter. But I have prayed for you And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Isn't that what David is doing here in verses 14 and 15? Deliver me from blood guiltiness. God, I am guilty. I did it. But you're the God of my salvation. So my tongue is going to sing aloud of your righteousness. Not me. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you, Lord. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Notice that. I mean, he's still horrified by the sins he committed. He's still aware that he had done them. He's not sweeping them under the rug and saying, well, I'm I'm a really good person now. But that realization of the depth of his sin and the greatness of God's mercy has driven him to run tell others about the grace that he has received. His message is not I, but Christ. You saved me, Lord, so now let my tongue declare your praise. I, I I want to shout it from the rooftops. That's what forgiven sinners do. Right? They, they rejoice and shout the good news so that others can hear. That's one of the reasons we gather here every week like we do, to remind each other of these things and to celebrate these things. You know, I want to be like John Newton who at the end of his life said, I don't remember much, but I remember two things. That I am a great sinner, but Christ is an even greater Savior. No pretense No pretending I'm better than anyone else. Just this joy that I want to share with them. Verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You're not looking for me to uh, be be the one that's, that's working this. You're not pleased with burnt offerings. You're not waiting on me to do something that you're lacking. No, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. God doesn't need a loan from me. He doesn't need my help or my endorsement. He doesn't need me to add to Him something that He is missing. He doesn't need me to do any favors for Him. I'm not doing a favor when I come and try to serve Him. What He wants and commands is my humble trust in Him that my life may be yielded for His purposes. Give you another assignment. You really ought to take some time this week just to meditate, think about verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will 
not despise. And think about what that means. Think about what that would look like in your life. Do you have this broken and contrite heart that God loves? That's the requirement. That's what He's looking for. And that means a heart that has learned to hate its sin and, and be broken by its sin and, and turn from it and repudiate it and renounce it because I, I'm, I'm done with it, God. I want what only You can do. I've been driven to You in humility and You must do this work and I'm trusting You to do it. And so you bring that humble heart to God and ask Him to do for you what you could never do for yourself, to forgive you of your sins, to restore to you your purity, to empower you to walk with Him in a life that will be now pleasing to Him. And through that life, finally, He will draw others to Himself. Uh, That's the point of verse 18 and 19. Let me just read them. Verse 18 and 19 are probably added later to David's prayer. Uh, But whether they were added or not, they sort of point us now in something different. Not just David's repentance himself, but the impact on the community that he leads. Do good to Zion uh, in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. We would say, Lord, build your church. Cause its glory to be seen. Make it holy. Then you will delight in right sacrifices. Uh, Romans 12, our living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. Burn offerings and whole burnt offerings and bulls will be offered on your altar. I mean, think about this. How does God restore any people? How does He restore a church? How does He restore a nation? He does it one repentant sinner at a time. This psalm is calling you to be that repentant sinner. To return to God with a whole heart, calling on Him through Jesus, trusting His promise of restoration and proclaiming His praise to a lost world. O God, create in us clean hearts. Renew in us right spirits. Restore to us the joy of salvation so that through our renewed and invigorated joyful lives, sinners may be restored to You, the lost saved, and Your kingdom advanced for the sake of Your kingdom. We pray. Amen.